Tonight's New Testament reading comes from 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 18. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to the death, to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Can you please join me as we pray? O oh Lord, we pray what we sing, O oh God of ages past, would you come in our presence, Jesus, would you be uh, who you are, grace and truth, life and hope, come to earth, come into this sanctuary and congregation, in this moment. For the sake of your name, for the sake of the glory of your Father, we trust you for these things. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as we've uh, mentioned a few times, this has been a particularly difficult week in the life of our church. Uh, I would say, again, the most painful uh, week uh, of ministry that I've experienced. And um, I, you know, as I thought about um, 
preaching, I went back and forth on whether or not uh, we should stick to the text that we were at. And the more I looked at it, the more I read it, I thought, no, it's very relevant because it's about this tension of what it means to walk between life and death, right? Uh, This is not an easy thing. Our world is filled with both. We see earthly signs, right? Maybe it's the life of a baby or just joy or being at some celebration, some sporting event, some great meal, life that we see, but then we're also confronted with death. And it's hard to not want to just get pulled into either side, to just sort of close your eyes to the other stuff and go, I'm just going to live in this ideal world, right? I'm going to retreat and hide in what I think could be life. And that results in lots of bad stuff, right? And the other side, too, is to be pulled into despair and darkness and cynicism. And I think uh, I have felt both of those things this week. Part of me just wanted to run and go find some place to hide. The other just kind of going, oh, Lord, why do you drop such things on our doorstep, such struggles of pain? But I'm more convinced than ever the call of Christians is to faithfully walk between life and death. And what I mean by that isn't just literal life and death. And as we look at this passage, I think we'll see that there's more going on. I've mentioned before to you um, the unique experience of walking my dog at Congressional Cemetery. And those of you that have been there, uh, it's unique in that, right? Around you, you find death and graves, but then you find these signs of life, not only in the foliage or maybe the way that people uh, decorate or treat the graves, but in the dogs that just are running free. It's an earthly sign of something that the Christian faith talks about and proclaims that through Jesus Christ, that reality can be the same. One day, it won't be. It'll be all dogs And all flowers, those of you that don't like dogs, you may be like, I don't want that in heaven, whatever you would say, but, right, on this new heavens and new earth, it'll be only life and only those things. But for now, we must find a way to walk amidst pain and sorrow and confusion and difficulty with the hope of life. And so that's where I want to turn our attention The first, just faithfully walking amidst death. And of course, there's no way not to experience this, right? Living in our world, we're confronted with it regularly. But in another way, our our world really strives not to see it, to find ways that we don't have to look at it. But the Bible and the Christian faith are a real-world religion. There's no book, I would say, uh, even even if you're someone that struggles with the supernatural side of what's proclaimed, you will not find a religious text more honest about the pain of life in its varied ways. And that's what Paul is getting to when he talks about death. He's not just talking about literal death because he talks about things like affliction, right? Right? We might say affliction is being hit by something you didn't ask for. Maybe it's illness. 
Maybe it's financial catastrophe. Maybe it's betrayal. You're hit by something that you didn't expect. Affliction. He talks about being perplexed. God, what's going on? What are you possibly doing? The very thing that makes us, um, makes us wonder, right? As human beings, we desire to have answers. We desire to have things figured out. It's natural. Uh, you know, several years ago, my brother-in-law was uh, traveling for business, and he entered an airport uh, exit way. There was no one else on the road. He was going 20 miles an hour, and he steered off the side of the road into the trees and was killed. And um, I remember in those early days especially, I was just going, what happened? What happened? And my brother and I, you know, we wanted to, we, we couldn't let go of that question, you know, let's get the black box if there is one, let's do, what happened? And it was my sister who said, enough. His widow said, enough. In faith. Um, we would learn to live with not knowing why for everything. Um, I would say there's some of that in our experience right now. If you're feeling perplexed, you're not alone. If you're feeling confused and bewildered, you're not alone. Paul talks about persecution. That's being opposed for seeking to follow God. Seeking to, to do what's right, to represent what's good and true and beautiful in God. And then lastly, he talks about being struck down. That has the image of being laid low by a weapon. <laughs> to be laid low, Ryan prayed about feeling low. Why do I say these things? Because as Paul talks about death, he's saying this is what it means to be handed over. This is what it feels like to have to live among death. It's not just literal death. It's everything that sin, a sin-ridden world, has created. Everything that sin has created, or rather distorted. This is what we have always found ourselves in. And as we look at this list, we see how wide it is, but also it grows in intensity, right? For Paul, he, he talks about things that go bad to worse, and you know maybe, as you received uh, the news of this trial and challenge before us, your thought was, "This now, Lord." <laughs> right? That's how these things often feel when death. This now, Lord. You know, with everything going on in my personal life, I feel like I'm barely hanging on. I'm struggling. My church is a place where I come for refuge. My church is a place I cut this now, Lord. Or maybe, Lord, here we are, just sort of, as Ryan said, it's been a, not an easy year, right? Trying to crawl out or rebound out of COVID, reform community, right? Reestablish, but this now, Lord. I'm sure in the Russells, Household, this now, Lord. Right? Why am I saying all this? Because we need to know that the Scripture and the Lord Himself understands the moment that we're in. Um, in many ways, uh, I think in moments of struggle, 
Um, there's a, maybe the voice we hear from God, depending on how we were raised or what we understand to be Christian faith, might be, come on, buck up. When what God is saying is, I know, I know. In many ways, you could say the essence of Jesus Christ's coming was God's big I know to us. Jesus walking among death, sorrow, betrayal, lament, hardship is God's I know to us. And two things I think help us to walk among death faithfully. The one is naming what we experience. The very fact that the scripture and Paul names these things, names these experiences, gives us permission and freedom to do so as well. Um, Dr. Christine Pohl, who just passed away, she was an uh, emeritus professor of religion at Asbury, said, a community that is truthful will not necessarily be tidy. There will be loose threads and rough edges because members are unwilling to hide their problems or to cover their wounds lightly, saying peace, peace when there is no peace. When Paul is voicing these things of being, you know, we're hard-pressed, we're despairing elsewhere in the book, Paul said despairing to the point of, he's not being disobedient. My friends, whatever you are feeling, it is a holy and obedient thing to bring it before the Lord. Paul is telling us that. It is a holy and obedient thing to bring these feelings before the Lord. In fact, it's expressing what he means by carrying in the body the death of Jesus. And it's what our forebearers, whether it be Hannah or Joseph or Esther or David or Jeremiah, or the Lord Jesus. The very Son of God weeping and saying, why? Weeping and saying, why? So one, and in this work of naming, I want to say it has to be done in community. Uh, we can't just, as we walk through circumstances uh, that rock and reel us so much, uh, it's dangerous to do it by yourself. And uh, so we gather for worship, and tonight we'll begin a process together of walking together. It's meant so much for me. I, I will be honest with you, I have both dreaded coming together and just been dying to do it. Um, needing to be in it. Everything from our wonderful chirping children to your hugs to our community together. So we name the experience, but we also need to frame it. Now, one of the challenges that Paul was facing as he was walking in all this sort of weakness was he was in a context, a situation in Corinth where there was a false teaching in the church that looked at all this stuff that was happening for Paul and was saying to other people, this could not be the favor of God. 
This could not be something from God. This could not be the will of God. This could not be the blessing of God. This person cannot be walking with God for all this stuff to be happening. And it fit perfectly with Corinth because Corinth had a disdain for weakness. Those very things that Paul said to be perplexed, to be weak, to be crushed, to have scars, his own weakness to speak the gospel, his own trembling, all those things there was a sustain for, kind of like our city. This is not an easy place to be weak. I was sitting with some of the younger men in our congregation this past week, and we were talking, they were sharing about uh, the temptations it is just to, to, to work and live in this city, right? This, this feeling that... Um, I have to appear omnicompetent and that I'm working harder than everybody else and that no balls are going to drop and I'm bulletproof and pressure-proof because that's what DC brings. That feeling of that need to have that appearance. And here's the thing. Uh, all of us, I think, as we acknowledge that, would also, to some degree, many of us go, yeah, that's, those things are in my heart. I, I, I don't want just to appear that way. I want to be that way. But this is, this is the thing we find ourselves in. There is no way for us to cling to those idols and follow Jesus. There's actually no way to be committed to that and actually be a witness of the gospel. Because the gospel is only made powerful through weakness and struggling and suffering. How do we know that? Well, because the founder of it was the prophet Isaiah. What does he say of the Messiah? When he shows up, he will be passed over as average. He will be rejected by people. He will be disdained by people. They'll despise his weakness. His death will look like a curse. But even in that will be the very power of God. It's not easy to walk in times like this. You know, you might even, uh, those of you that are long time and been in the, at some point you might be like, gee, does God not like our church? Seems like we're facing a lot of trials. Have we fallen out of favor? Well, I would say, oh, there's ways to fall out of favor. But it also could be that we're being led in the footsteps of Jesus, right? New levels of neediness, new levels, levels of weakness. Jesus was one big jar of clay. Um, Paul uses this image. It was a familiar one in ancient times, right? A treasure in something very fragile and normal and average and breakable. And all of us so want to exchange that jar of clay for something shiny and unbreakable. But we can't. I don't want a breakable jar. I want our church to be unbreakable. But there's a reason he tells us why God permits this. And this to me was, I think, the verse that really like grabbed my heart this week. Because again, we would say, 
Why, 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 God? And he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. God ideally means to demonstrate his power in our congregation, in the lives of our dear uh, friends, the Russells, in our community, in our leadership. He means to demonstrate a power that we cannot manifest ourselves. And that power ultimately, to move us toward the close, is life. This is the life that Paul talks about. It's one big paradox because Paul is saying, in a sense, uh, as we're kind of struggling and, and, and trudging along, you look up and what captivates you is there's this glory of life that comes from God. A life that is actually demonstrated in the dying and rising of Jesus. Right? Along with the theme of Jesus, you know, it might appear from the outside that Jesus' death was just about sacrificial love. There was this whole narrative of shame, of curse of God. And when he rose from the dead, it was vindication that he had walked in righteousness. And God means to do that among his people as they follow him. In Paul's day, um, there was really no positive response to death. Um, it just wasn't in the worldview. Funeral inscriptions, and there's lots and lots of them, uh, the inscriptions basically were questions about death or despair. Right? There weren't any sort of like, hey, you know, this is what's coming. And I would say uh, there's a sense where our culture is like that. I, um, oh man. You know, I, I so, I, such a driving force to me uh, these last 20 years in my ministry um, has been this desire that God, by his grace, would create a leadership culture and a culture in our church that might spare us from heartache like we're facing. Mainly because my heart breaks as a shepherd of God's church that, um, that you would have uh, any reason any reason to be cynical like our culture or hopeless or despairing. And all of us face that temptation. It's in the air. It's in the air of the church. Uh, I so long in my heart that that would, it'd be a thousand miles from our church door. But God gives us what he gives us. And he gives it for a reason. And he gives it that the people of God would have a different sort of witness than cynicism and just 
disillusionment and distrust and just saying, forget it all. That the people of God would actually say, no, uh, this, is, this is not a new walk for me. Because I've been called from the beginning to walk between death and life. And God continually creates life where there is heartache and hardship. This is what he does. And Paul testifies this. He says, you know, we're at a loss, but not absolutely at a loss. He's able to acknowledge the groaning fully in all the ways that death is present and licking at his heels and pressing in on his soul, right? The despair and the, and the struggle and the, the bewilderment and all that stuff, he acknowledges it plainly and honestly before God as the scripture do, but he then says, because one has risen from the dead and God is committed to his power being made, life in the death, therefore we do not lose heart, for we know, therefore we are always confident, therefore we make it our goal. There's a trajectory of hope because he knows who's died and saved him. My hope for our church four weeks ago and 20 years ago and 20 years from now is that Jesus has risen from the dead. And Jesus loves this church. Jesus died for this church. Jesus' presence dwells in this church. This is the hope we have. And it does a little flip Earlier in the letter, Paul talked about his burden being too heavy to carry. But now he says, it's light and momentary. <laughs> Jesus, come unto me who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you a lighter burden. Jesus brings this to us. And that weight will be exchanged for an eternal weight of glory. That day, when there will not be a memory of sorrow and of sin and of death and suspicion and frustration and lostness. There won't be a memory of it. An eternal weight of glory, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Um... This week, for some reason, I found myself reading about plants, flowering plants, and uh, I came across an article that said, uh, plants that die pretty. These plants are sometimes called eternals or immortals because uh, while in spring, they might uh, blossom and bloom a red lollipop looking, uh, you know, red, red lollipop-looking uh, stem with flowers, or maybe large pink-white petals, when the winter comes, the beauty is actually transformed into something else. It becomes a different, beautiful flower. And it's just a sign of the Lord's ability to make life and beauty in times where it just feels kind of dead, deathly. So my friends, uh, this truth goes beyond today and next week. 
We carry it until the day that we see Christ face to face. But I want to urge us as a community to walk between death and life, straight ahead, staring at this promise that Christ has given us because he's risen, walking straight ahead with a risen Jesus and expecting him to demonstrate his power in time, his mercy in time. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, the risen one, you walk this world that had the aroma of death, and you were the aroma of life. Lord, we need to breathe in that air. I pray you would bring it to us. I pray you would fill our lungs with it. I pray it would be our life as a community. Uh, we walk ahead in difficult times. Believing, Lord, in your redemption story. We need you. We trust you. In Christ's name, amen.